everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Uh, Johnny Tor is with you, as always. We appreciate you for watching whenever, wherever you may be doing so. Another edition full of politics and news to cover, and we've got some new faces and old faces on our uh, panel for today. So let's get right into today's topics. Biden's Breakfast Club flub. Try saying that three times fast. Uh, comments did not fall on deaf ears, and just like Hillary, in 2016, has the Breakfast Club become kind of the, the, the new stumbling block for Democratic candidates? Uh, Trump, the president, reopening churches across the country, uh, and we'll pick apart the reaction to that and whether or not we're truly ready uh, to, again, be gathering in large groups, uh, such as church on Sundays. Uh, the governor punching back in his bluff with the media, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis here in Florida, not taking it any longer and uh, delivered, you know, what I would say is a pretty successful blowback in, in all the criticism that he's been receiving as of late. Uh, we'll pick that apart, including Republican and Democratic state responses to the reopening of the country amid the coronavirus and retirement homes, nursing homes, assisted facility, assisted living facilities, and uh, their contribution to the overall death count in terms of uh, COVID-19 death cases. Uh, you know, who got it right, who got it wrong, and uh, where do we see the numbers going from here? So let's jump right into today's panel so we can kick off the topics with me is a very special friend of mine i've been trying to get him on the show for some time and i'm glad we finally were able to make it work he put sarasota on the map politically with his uh, partner joe gruders down in sarasota and they have now uh risen to the leadership of the republican party of florida christian ziegler is the vice chairman of the republican party of florida and he joined us on the show today hey christian Johnny, thanks for having me on. You know, I'm so excited. I've, I've watched this show when it pops up in my Facebook feed. I think you guys have the best podcast name there is. Probably hurts some feelings with the sign, uh, the yard sign fans out there, but uh, <laughs> uh, I love your show. You guys do a great job. Appreciate everything you're doing to advance the cause. Well, thanks, man. It means a lot to me for you to join us today. And then uh, some familiar faces on the bottom row. We've got uh, with me, as always, Anibal Cabrera. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. <laughs> topics. All right. And joining us once again is a good friend of mine uh, and a friend of the show, friend to all in Tampa Bay, I'd like to say, is uh, the one and only Chris Chambers. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, of course, we are uh, doing this show here on Memorial Day. And so before we jump into today's topics really quick, I want to give you a preview of a special project uh, that we're doing with uh, thanks to Christopher Kylan, who is a regular panelist on the show. Got a couple of his veteran friends together to put together a special video uh, for those of uh, those who have served our country and in recognition of Memorial Day. So let's check that out right now. Hey everybody, I'm here today with Sergeant Mike, a veteran uh, of the US Army. Uh, I wanted to talk with him today about what Memorial Day means to him. Memorial Day is a day where we remember those who have at one time signed up, put their lives on hold to give service to this great nation. We remember who those people were, whether they sacrificed, whether they lost their lives in action, or whether they died in a hospital bed at the age of 90. How would you suggest someone, would you think it is an appropriate uh, action for someone who's not connected to a military family to go walk through uh, one of the, the graveyards? No, not at all, not at all. I yeah. think it's actually, I love I love seeing that, mm -hmm. but I love to see the patriotism of it. Is there anyone that you would like to talk about, anyone that, anyone that had a great personality that you served with that you'd like to share details about? Yeah, there's a, there's a few friends that I have that have lost their lives. One of my good soldiers. His name was uh, Michael Cluter. Good guy. He was a kid from Maine. He was a hard person, but had a big heart. Um, my other rifleman at the time, his name was uh, Carly Lee. He's a good old boy from Alabama. He got into a pecan burst, which is an automatic rifle, and uh, took him down. He held on for, from what I was told, for quite a while, but uh, eventually, by the time the bird touched down, uh, he was no longer with us. On that note, I'll just say thank you for your service, and thank you for coming and sitting and talking to us today. And thank um, you for caring enough to, to even do this, yeah. you know, I mean, to even ask that story. That's something that we can do more often. Um, and if I could say one more thing, this is very important to me. Um, if you know a veteran who's older, talk to them. Just talk to them. Ask them about their time of service. Is there anything you'd like to uh, 
offer as far as your profession now to uh, to help veterans out there? Anything you could advice you can give? Anything that you can uh, expose them to that might make their their life easier as far as working with the VA? I would say that to to go to the VA, go because uh, there is there are programs there. There's help there. There's direction there. I mean, just go talk to them. All right, again, special thanks to Christopher Kylan for putting that together. And again, thank you to all our Gold Star families, uh, friends and families of veterans that we've lost in in wars uh, throughout the history of this country. Uh, We obviously can't thank you enough for uh, everyone's service, uh, both uh, who are still with us and those who have passed. Uh, Guys, let's go ahead and jump into, uh, I would say, maybe the more fun topic uh, so far of, uh, uh, of today's list which is uh, Joe Biden's Breakfast Club flub. Uh, He went on and said, basically, that uh, if you vote for Trump, you're not black. And, of course, uh, I mean, it just took me right back to Hillary Clinton in 2016 when, you know, she tried to, uh, you know, assimilate or tried to uh, be relatable with the Breakfast Club and talking about uh, her carrying hot sauce in her bag, uh, which, uh, of course, was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Chris, you want to join me on this one? Uh, you know, what's what was your initial reaction to Biden here? Uh, you know, is the Breakfast Club becoming a liability for Democrats? <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think uh, the Breakfast Club uh, and the host Charlamagne the God, I think any type of uh, political candidates that come on there, uh, he's very nonpartisan. He asks the tough questions, uh, you know, specifically how is you as a candidate are going to advance the lives for African-Americans uh, throughout throughout America? Uh, and, and, you know, he asked Joe Biden about the crime bill, some of the bills that he stood uh, and supported, uh, you know, decades ago, and which in tune has been detrimental for some of the lives of a lot of African-Americans. Uh, whether you know the crack cocaine versus uh, you know powder cocaine, different citizens uh, guidelines associated with those laws. Uh, so he asked tough questions, and uh, I think Joe Biden really stumbled when he when he when he closed with it. If you don't vote, you know, for me, you ain't black. So uh, I, I, I think uh, it was a strike against Joe on that. Uh, just another one. He, this is not the first time he said a comment that's uh, controversial, but. I definitely disagree with that. And I don't think he can say that him not being black. It's just, you know. Well, let's kind of pick that apart a little bit. I mean, you being uh, someone who leans conservative, you voted for, you know, Republican candidates uh, for office. Uh, How and what was your initial reaction to that? How did you personally take that comment? I think I think I was, I was offensive. I, I think a, a lot of African American people were, were were offended by that. You know, now you're trying to you know use race in a policy, which has been done for years. But for Joe Biden to come out and say that you don't you know vote for me, you ain't black. You know, it's like he's trying to give that ultimatum. So definitely uh, the wrong way to go about it. I disagree with that comment. And, and like I said before, he is not the one to make that that comment. I think somebody black should be the one to make that comment, not Joe Biden. Yeah, well, that's a great point. And Christian, uh, you know, you being uh, one of the things that you and I have in common is our love for working in the digital space. Uh, and and I, I know you kind of watch what's happening uh, online as much as possible. Um, do you think this really, you know, uh, put a dent in the campaign in terms of uh, the blowback that he got from making that comment? Or do you think this is just going to be uh, acceptable and passed on simply because he's Joe Biden? Look, I think it's devastating for him. Um, you know, when we start talking about the African-American community and what the president's done across the board, his record's been through the roof, you know, delivering for African-Americans across this country. Um, even the PPP program that came out, um, the uh, uh, payment protection plan, um, that was, there was a portion of that that was directed directly to minorities and disadvantaged communities. So I'll tell you, I mean, look, I have the fortunate opportunity. I'm a West Wing surrogate. I'm on the calls with them every day. I get memos every day. The president's been totally committed to the African-American and the minority community. Now, here's how this translates is you have Joe Biden who, look, and as Chris mentioned, I mean, Chris is exactly spot on. This is not an isolated incident. I mean, here you have a gentleman that you know, when he was a senator, he was talking about Indians and convenience stores. I mean, you know, he's it, it's interesting because the Democrat Party is always the first to jump to talk about sexuality and to talk about race and identity politics. Whereas the Republican Party, look, I don't care. Look, Chris might be African-American. I mean, 
to be honest, all I care about is the fact that he served his country. I know he's active duty. I think Coast Guard um, is what I learned about him. He's a conservative. He's a Republican. We can count on his vote in November. Uh, that's what I care about. Um, but, you know, for some reason, the Democrats now led by Joe Biden, they like to focus on identity politics. And and also, I, I think it's just like the tone is so bad. The fact that he's going to go out there and, and segment out, you know, portions of the society in America and really put them down. Um, and I think Americans are tired of it across the board. Um, I think the African-American community, I mean, even on this show, I mean, the host is pretty darn clear. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about you know, what you've done in the past, but he wants to know what are you going to do for them now? Whether And I think Donald Trump's delivering. And because of that, for the same reason the deplorables, you know, uh, uh, comment motivated a lot of people, I think we're going to see this comment motivate a lot of people in November on the in the African-American community. And I think Donald Trump's going to get record uh, amount of African-American support. Well, and, and again, uh, like I said, you know, leading up to your uh, statement on this, uh, I try to keep my ear to the ground as much as possible online, seeing what people's reactions and comments are to what's happening. And, and, and I try to do that without a, rose, a set of rose-colored glasses. And it seems to me that, honestly, we could be seeing, and it, it could just be my intuition, and again, it may be just because I'm in the bubble, but I do have a sense that that. President Trump may see the largest uh, support uh, of the African-American community than any Republican candidate has seen previously in a long time. Well, and we saw that in Ron DeSantis' race. I think that's a preview in 2018. Um, one of the messages, and I ran a ton of ads down in Southeast Florida, um, school choice and you know empowering low-income individuals, which happened, there are a lot of African-Americans in that area that benefit from the voucher program, or not the voucher, but the tax credit scholarship program here in Florida. And uh, I think we just need to remind them that, look, the Republican Party, we're here, the, we're the party of opportunity. And the Democrat Party, what they want to do is they want to suppress you. They want to keep you down. They want to make you dependent on government to exist. And uh, that's the wrong message. I think Americans, every American, I don't care if you're black, Asian, Hispanic, white, you just want opportunity. And that's our message. So you know, this is, I think this is going to be big trouble. I mean, I know we're planning on running a ton of ads to remind people of, and we're just going to put it in his own words. Let, let him explain what his views are ripping apart this country and trying to pit one race against another race. And, you know, trying to stake the claim that, and take the, take the African-American vote by granted, which is really what that comment did. Well, and for, for someone, someone who was, was virtually seen as uh, MIA, really, I mean, he was, he was a ghost basically during most of this coronavirus, uh, for him to come out and this be one of the first things that come out of his mouth, I think has, has got to be truly devastating. Anibal, you know, uh, as I opened up the topic, you know, we saw Hillary Clinton kind of stick her foot in her mouth in 2016 with the same morning show. Uh, do you think this is going to resonate the same way or do you think this is a bigger deal? I truly think this is a, a bigger deal. The the Breakfast Club is a, is a great show. It has great artists. It hits the demographic that a lot of people aren't watching when it comes to just the greater aspect of America. And it's something that people are paying attention to. So I did the same thing. I just looked on Facebook to see what was the response. And the response was, well, even though I was going to, even though this individual was going to vote Democrat or Republican, they're like, they don't want to be told how they should be voting because of their skin color. That is just a, a fundamental concept of Americans. Don't tell us what to do. <laughs> that's something that will get pushed back every single time. And we have been discussing this on this podcast that Republicans don't need to get 50% of the black vote. They don't need to get 50% of the Hispanic vote. They just need to tick that up above 15%, above 20%. And that's the ball game. Every single congressional district is in play. If the Republicans are able to tick that above 15% when it comes to the black and, and other minority groups. And that's the, that's the ball game. If Trump is able to continue to push the narrative that, look, look, what have they done for you? Nothing. They've kept um, um, those cities in poverty. They've kept those communities a destitute. And it needs a change. And it doesn't even have to be a Republican. It just needs to be a change. And that is what Trump is trying to give to that community is just an opportunity to see, look, what have they done for you lately? They haven't done anything for you. So make a decision to make a change. And something that really hit me back was over the weekend, uh, I think it was um, PBS released the Trump, Thomas Clarence um, um, biography about the, fir the first black Supreme Court justice, I believe it was. And the fact that, the second, and the fact that um, Joe Biden was chair 
of the Senate to get him, uh, to allow him to become nominated for the Supreme Court justice or not, showed me a lot of, of just how long Joe Biden has been in politics. And that is starting to really weigh on people's decisions. This man has been in politics for years. Uh, Charlamagne, the guy was right. What has he done for the black community? He was the he was in the front lines for the war on drugs, mass incarceration. Those are the things that Charlemagne wants that to be corrected. And if Trump and the Republicans can move on this, I think this will be uh, a great move for November. Well, and Chris made a good point, you know, and to all his credit, Charlemagne is actually a great interviewer. Uh, the show in general does seem pretty kind of nonpartisan. You know, they, they try to, you know, kind of have a level playing field, I would say, for the most part, uh, when they are talking about political issues. Uh, Chris, give me, give me your perspective, you know, from the people that are in your community, your household, your family, your friends. I mean, do, do realistically, I mean, do you see the needle moving at all? Or, or again, are we just kind of inside the bubble and, and just kind of perceiving this based on the news cycle? I, I think the needle may move a little bit, but I mean, I'm going to be realistic. I have a lot of African-American friends and a lot of them, most of them are Democratic. So I think uh, Joe Biden coming out saying with that comment, I think you have a lot of people that are struggling right now feeling, you know, do I have a viable candidate? that represents, you know, me. And, and that's just the re- re- reality, reality of things. And uh, and come on, Democrats, they, they, they court African-American community, you know, every, every four years. You know, I, I think uh, Charles Barkley said it best, you know, black people have been voting for Democrats for years and they still court. You know, they only come around when it's that uh, election cycle, which I don't necessarily agree with that comment, but, but it just shows that they come around and, and a lot of African-Americans, you know, they just hop on the Democratic uh, they just hop on that, that train. I think you really need to look at the candidate, what they bring to the table, whether it's Democrat or Republican. I mean, I mean when I have that ballot sheet in front of me, uh, I just don't go straight Republican, straight Democrat. If, if there is a particular office or whatever, uh, and it's a Democrat, I feel is is better for that. I mean, I'm a vote for the for the better person. And I just think we you know just have just hop on a Democratic train or hop on a Republican train. You really got to look at that that person's their record and what have they done. And when you look at Joe Biden's record as far as the crime bills, everything he's done decades and decades ago, and now come back full circle, and you have family members who or, or people themselves who suffered as a, as a result of that. He, he needs to answer for that. And I think I think that's what Charlemagne was trying to get to those tough questions. Say, hey, you put a lot of people in this predicament where you, I mean, you didn't do it by yourself, but you supported it. Now here we are. What are you going to do to make that right? And in your opinion, I mean, is this moment, you know, when they do these interviews, I mean, do you feel that that they have the influence, or or is it merely a reference point for a lot of people that may persuade their vote, but not necessarily change their vote? I, I, I think I think they have the have the influence. If you're referring to the interviewer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, the show. Yeah. Guy. No, yeah, yeah, they definitely have the, the influence. I mean, he, he's somebody that's well respected in the African American community, uh, and and he comes in here and he asks the tough questions to all candidates. So uh, Joe Biden was just another candidate who has not treated any differently, and unfortunately, uh, Joe Biden's uh, responses were definitely not politically correct, and I think offended a lot of the African American community. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris, for that. Uh, let's go ahead and oh, lost my uh, light here. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our second topic uh, for today, which is Trump reopening churches. Of course, you know, this has been a major issue gaining national spotlight here in the Tampa Bay area with uh, one of our pastors here being arrested uh, for having held services early on in this coronavirus crisis. Uh, and uh, since then, you know, if you haven't followed that story, uh, the charges were dropped, I believe, by the state attorney and uh, the sheriff and the, this particular pastor have since uh, reconciled. And because uh, they, you know, this pastor had been a supporter of the sheriff, uh, um, but uh, the sheriff stepped in and felt that he did what was right. And he got and continues to get a lot of criticism for having arrested the pastor for having held this service in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, you know, looking at the numbers and, and Christian, again, you're kind of uh, an insider, you know, with the, 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 the executive administration here. Um, 
and even from the outside, I would say, at least here in Florida, you know, I could say that I feel comfortable that we're at a point where we can start to, with guidelines, with some precautions, you know, being responsible about this, that we can start to reopen our churches. What, do you, what, what are you hearing and, and how do you think they're going to handle this? Look, I think the president coming out and saying that churches are essential uh, was spot on. Um, I just fundamentally believe the majority of society is ready to move forward now. We just saw some CDC, you know, stats that came out today, um, which really kind of made it out to be not as serious. Obviously, it's always easy to do and, and really be Monday morning quarterback and look back based on the data we have now compared to a couple months ago. I mean, look, I'm a local elected official here in Sarasota County. I know right at the beginning there was a lot of concern and overwhelming the entire community was concerned um, and actions, you know, were taken and steps were put in place and guidelines were put in place. But as time's gone by, we've seen that it's really not as as serious of an issue as as was predicted, right? I mean, everyone, the doom and gloom predictions were that hospitals were going to be overrun, people weren't going to have ventilators, and we just haven't seen that occur. And so now we go to the next phase of this process, which the governor has done a great job of leading us through. And that's how do we open up our society? I mean, look, we have people that still aren't in work. We have shops that still aren't open, restaurants that still can't open because it's just not financially viable for them at 50% capacity even. Um, So I think overwhelmingly people are looking around saying, okay, now it's time to go move forward. Let's move forward. There's always going to be a risk. I don't care if it's Corona or, you know, other issues, other health issues, but People have to go back to work. I think they're antsy, but they also just need it to be able to put put food on the table, a roof over their head, provide for their children. Um, we have to look at schools in the fall. Kids have to be educated. I have a kindergartner that finished the last half of the year at home, and that's you know it's somewhat sad. It was necessary, I guess, at the time. Certain people believe, but you know when it comes to churches, this is the time that people need faith the most, and we need to make sure they have access to it. Um, you know, everyone should still be smart, obviously. I mean, don't go coughing on people. If you're sick, stay home. I mean, I think all of that is good, but you know, going forward, we do need to find ways to open up the society and that's what we're seeing. And, and it's good because I think all elected officials are starting to move in that direction. There's still some holdouts and you still get these people, you know, even my local paper. I mean, we have this columnist that we opened up the beaches about a month ago or so. And, uh, or I guess it was about three weeks ago. And she said, you know, we're basically going to have blood on our hands. That was the message in the article. And two weeks later, I brought the health director in front of us and I asked him, Hey, have you seen a spike since the beaches have opened? And his answer was no. Um, I don't think I'll get a correction in the paper, but um, you know, that's the sort of doom and gloom that really was out there that we're combating right now. Well, I mean, you know, here in Tampa, we had Mayor Jane Castor saying that people are going to die. People are going, like she repeated this phrase often throughout the city, you know, the, the uh, emergency uh, group of the council that, you know, that was deciding all the guidelines here locally for Hillsborough County. And, and again, you know, it, it, these fear tactics, I think, um, not only were highly exaggerated, but I think they also got blowback from it. I think where they're going to see that they lost political capital. And we've seen she's lost a lot of influence in the county, in the city, because of the antics that she uh, enabled uh, and promoted throughout this you know, crisis. Um, but you took the word right out of my mouth. In a crisis like this, this is when we need our faith the most. Uh, Anibal, you know, one of the things that you and I also share besides politics and friendship is uh, the church that we attend. And I would love nothing more than, you know, to go back to Bay Hope. Uh, you know, what is it meant to you to not be able to go onto campus? And, and uh, I know you're heavily involved with the leadership in that church. Uh, how are they perceiving and uh, maybe even preparing to reopen? Like many churches around the country, they were um, still doing their services online, worship services were moved online, children's services, a lot of the youth activities were actually done online, and they did what all churches do and other um, faith-based organizations do, and they contribute what they can to their communities, either providing assistance or resources, um, being able to make sure that the most um, vulnerable in our communities have the, have the faith and have the spiritual um, 
spiritual connection that they require because it is another layer of our a fabric of our society. It's having that church, having the synagogue, having the temple to be able to have that expression and that emotion to your creator. With Bay Hope as a, as my own personal church, we were able. They were they've been really focusing on the on the hospitals around the the church and being able to focus on the uh, most vulnerable communities with retirement and older individuals. I think what's happening now. The president uh, threw out the gauntlet that, you know what, it is time to reopen these churches. It is time to allow them to, to do what needs to get done so that people feel, have connections back to their faith. And even though we all, as we all know that faith is not a, a physical structure, having that ability to congregate together as a community and be able to worship together as a community is very important. So the president threw out the gauntlet saying that it was time to reopen churches. And now you're seeing certain um, states push back. North Carolina is a perfect example of the uh, idiocracy when it came to what that governor said. You're saying that a political individual is saying that his church, he won't allow churches to reopen his state? That is, again, you're telling Americans what to do, and it's not going to work. Americans will push back, especially the religious aspects of our community will push back and say, no, we will open as long as we follow CDC guidance. And I think that's what the main uh, beat, the drumbeat has been from this president and the CDC. You can do X, Y, and Z as long as you follow protocols, as long as you follow how we reopen the country. We can argue about why we, why we closed it and how it went too far, but we're not there anymore. Now we're at a place where people need to feel comfortable. And as people feel comfortable and say, I really take risks, more things will open. And it's just making it more apparent of some of these local officials and state officials that are, they're so tyrannical when it comes to their authority and having so much power to themselves. And it shows, it shows if you want people to, if you don't want to give up your power. And that was a really sad thing that we've seen throughout the community, throughout our local community and the state. So now seeing certain states push back is, is it's, this is becoming, a, I am fascinated to see what the numbers are going to look like in November and who will and who will not vote for these people because of how much pushback you're getting. When you tell Americans, no, you cannot open up because we have to find a cure is known before we'll open up certain parts of the country. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. And again, Americans did what needed to get done. We gave the hospitals and the communities enough time to build up resources, to make sure we didn't have an overwhelming healthcare system. And that was what we did. And we did that spectacularly. Now they're trying to change the goalposts of where we're at. And that's just going to piss off more people. Well, uh, Oh, hang on. Had myself uh, muted there. Uh, Chris, you know, you've got a beautiful family. You know, you've been really uh, tight on this quarantine thing. You know, I know you got out a little bit over the past few days, though. But what has it meant to you to not be able to take your family out to church and to, you know, be able to exercise, you know, your, your faith, especially, again, in a time of crisis where everybody in some form or another has been struggling with this? Well, it's definitely... Uh been something different getting used to, but we, we transitioned to online services. So we were still able to go and carry on in our, in our, in our faith. Definitely not like being in the church itself. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I do disagree with, you know, uh, some of the states pushing back because, you know, you have a church across the street that's saying you can't open, but right across the street you have a Walmart or a, a, a Lowe's and it's a thousand people in there. So I think as long as the churches are following the CDC guidelines, practicing social distancing, wearing the, you know, required or recommended PPE, I, I don't see an issue with it. And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable going to church, then stay at home and watch it, you know, via internet. I think every church now has ability, an alternate method where you can watch the church service through uh, the, the internet. So they can just do it that way. But, uh, you know, over the last couple of days, I, you know, it was able to, you know, refreshing and get out to the beach and spend time with my family. And, you know, we practice social distancing, and I, I think the same common sense applies to being in church. You know, keep the, keep the distance, keep the space, and, uh, you know, worship your creator, your Lord, whoever you call, look up to. And, but I, I don't think the the, uh, the local governments or even states should be dictating if a church can uh, open or not. I, I think it should leave, uh, let common sense prevail, CDC guidelines, and, and, and uh, user protection. 
Well, let's not forget that, you know, these churches are essentially very much like small businesses or nonprofits, you know, because they depend on the donations and the tithing of, of its uh, members. And so for a lot of these churches, they have not, they've maybe have been able to broadcast their services online, but they've taken a significant hit, you know, to their donations, to the tithing. Um, which helps them continue to operate. And I think they're going to suffer, just like many of our small businesses have suffered in all of this. And, and again, I think you, you hit it right on the, uh, on the head, Chris, when, you know, if Walmart can stay open, you know, Lowe's can stay open, and people are willing to line up around the block to get indoors practicing the CDC guidelines, then there's no reason why we shouldn't allow churches to exercise those same protocols and, and have them reopen and serve their communities. Um, guys, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, for those of you watching with us today, we've got Christian Ziegler, Vice Chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. Uh, my buddy Chris Chambers back on the show once again. And Anibal Cabrera who joins me as always. Uh, we've got a few more topics to discuss today, but, but don't forget to share this episode while you're watching. We appreciate you for doing so. We're continuing to build our audience and also make sure you subscribe to the audio version of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google platforms. Uh, our next topic is uh, the governor taking the gloves off. I'm excited about this one. You know, I mean, he's someone who's a pretty passive guy. You know, he doesn't uh, really get over emotional. You don't see a lot of emotional out of Governor DeSantis. Uh, and I think he'd had enough. I think between uh, the predictions that Florida was going to fail in this crisis, um, you know, uh, and the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, you know, he had a subordinate, you know, within the, the data team uh, of the state, you know, from the, the health department, you know, now come out and say that there was some sort of uh, agenda uh, at hand, that, uh, you know, and, and so, of course, that story still continues to unravel. Uh, and the fact that even though our numbers continue to be some of the best in the country in terms of turning the corner on this coronavirus, and he continues to get blowback from the media on it uh, as to his handling of it, I, I don't blame him at all, you know, for, for the blowback that uh, he gave the media. I think it was well-deserved. Christian, you know, I've got to imagine that, you know, because I saw it, I'm sure you did as well. What has really been the response you've been seeing from the party's perspective as to him really kind of, you know, taking, which is not unlike him, you know, he's not a Trump-like type of individual, you know, so for him to go up against the media like this is very uncharacteristic of him. Um, what was the response that you got from Republicans across the state? Uh incredible response in support of the governor. I mean, here you have a guy, he's, he, as you mentioned, I mean, he's, he's a little bit more of an introvert than an extrovert, um, but he can be pushed to the point where he will get angry and he will make it clear and try to set the record straight when he believes that the message he's getting out needs to get out and it's right. And um, we saw it a little bit during the campaign, um, specifically on some of the immigration issues. Um, and now we're seeing it when it comes to the media. I mean, look, it, this coronavirus, I mean, the last, you know, segment that we discussed were about, you know, tyrants and local government extending their reach. Um, I think our governor's done a fantastic job uh, throughout this, and he's been very, very cautious on overextending his power, um, unlike some other governors. As was mentioned, North Carolina, you got this nightmare in Michigan um, and some of these other states. And uh, when you look at the numbers, I mean, look, Florida and New York, very comparable state in terms of population. Actually, we're a little bit higher. I think we're at 22 million versus 20 million. Um, and our number of cases were at 40,000. New York was at 325,000 deaths. Um, you know, we're just a, a, a tenth of a percent, you know, probably 10% of what New York is. And uh, this governor's led us well, but the media has been on his case. They've been, you know, saying that Florida is going to become the next New York, that we're, you know, moments away from turning into Italy, you know, having our hospitals overrun and ventilators, not enough ventilators. And, you know, I think because of that, over the past couple months, it's just really kind of fueled, and, and he really unloaded. And let me tell you, that reminded a lot of people, especially on the Republican side, of who they voted for and why they voted for him. Um, you know, he's done a great job governing throughout this crisis, throughout his his term. Um, but I think that fire in his belly was amazing to see because you just kind of felt like you got a true insight into what he believes. And I, that day, I had someone call me directly from you know the Trump world, basically. I mean, I, I, you know, that, that kicked off right when that was posted online, he calls me. And then soon after that, over the course of the, the afternoon, I had so many people in the Trump world, whether they worked in 2016 or 2020, saying, hey, Ron DeSantis is the heir apparent of the president. 
And uh, I think that kind of feedback really helps him in whatever aspirations he may have in the future. Um, but people like to see a fighter. We're at a, we're at a time and point in society where we're tired of these politicians getting elected and doing nothing, uh, not taking a stand, um, not being aggressive, not pushing back. And I think Ron DeSantis showed what, he, what he's got uh, to offer. And, and people really po- responded positively after that. Uh, well, I think you you kind of hit on something that uh, I think we want to point out, which is because, Christian, during the time that you and I have been involved in, uh, you've been involved with the party, I'm pretty sure even longer than I have, um, we have really seen the ascendance of uh, politicians, elected officials from Florida, really take the spotlight and and rise into leadership roles within our federal government. And it's been absolutely amazing to watch. You know, we see Senator Rick Scott, you know, now, who our former governor, making some, some great moves uh, in terms of making sure that we're staying focused on the right issues. You know, we saw Senator Marco Rubio now be assigned as uh, acting chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, he's uh, reached various levels of prominence throughout uh, his terms. Uh, where and, and you're right. I mean, Ron DeSantis is now part of that national conversation about what comes next after 2024, um, you know, because I'm still really confident in this election. I think uh, people uh, have the common sense to realize that, you know, we are going through a, a crisis that no one uh, really expected that no one I think would have uh, uh, perfected or, or handled in, in, in any way, shape or form, uh, maybe better than the government, uh, than uh, President Trump has. Uh, and the fact that he revealed that, you know, he wasn't the authoritarian, the dictator that, that they all tried to ping him out to be, and they have let these states make their own decisions along the way, is going to say a lot for him come November. Uh, Chris, you know, you being an, uh, an active member of our military, again, in the Coast Guard, uh, what, what's kind of been the response serving here in Florida, you know, and, and, and having Governor Ron DeSantis and watching him since, again, his uh, election into his current office, uh, what has been your kind of perception and, and, and those of, of you guys who, again, continue to serve our country here in Florida? All right. Well, you know, first of all, you know, my views has nothing to do with the Coast Guard, but, you know, being a military member uh, and we can go back to a couple months back when I was on the show, I thought Governor DeSantis was doing an excellent job how he was handling uh, the situation. And as you previously said, you know, if you look at our numbers compared to New York, uh, population a little, a little bit bigger and you compare that to the, the number of deaths and the number of people who've contracted the virus. I think those numbers speak for itself. And, and you could even say New York has imposed even more restrictions than Florida has. So uh, me personally, I just think Ron DeSantis has uh, been doing a great job. Now, uh, you know, is in relation to military and the coronavirus, I know the military has put a lot of restrictions on travel uh, to state to state, and I believe some of those restrictions are still in place. So uh, that's aside the fact from, you know, uh, Governor DeSantis' response. But overall, I, I think he's uh, done a great job. I think some of the media has definitely been unfair when they, you look at Republican governors opposed to, to Democratic governors. Uh, and, and typically the Democratic governors, they want to, you know, exercise their power a little bit more, put more lockdown restrictions, opposed to the Republican governors who, you know, want the business to get back and going, the economy, you know, stimulate it. And coincidentally, more, more states that has the lesser restrictions are doing well opposed to the states with Democratic leadership who's putting on tougher restrictions and they have higher numbers. So I, I think if you just want to, uh, you know, look, look at the numbers and, and anybody can just make an intelligent decision for yourself. So overall, I, I, think, I think he's done a good job. He's handled it well. And like I say, he was an introvert. But I think, you know, push comes to shoves. He definitely has the right to, to, to uh, speak out against the media. Uh, especially when Florida has such low numbers and, and low deaths compared to other states throughout the United States. Now, Nebel, uh, you and I love when these kind of uh, media moments happen. I think it's one of the things that we love about the political process, you know, because it, it gets you fired up, right? Um, and and to see him push back on a media that had been, you know, really oppressive to the governor and, and, and trying to um, – basically knock him off course the entire way since he got elected. Uh, what, what, what's your take on this? So, you know, how do you feel this is going to resonate uh, with voters long-term? I'm actually a little surprised 
with the response that he gave. I wasn't expecting it. I was watching the the press conference with the vice president right next to him. And again, the vice president right next to him, they're in the White House. And I believe the whole, I think, I, I want to say the Rebecca Jones thing was happening at the same time. And that was putting a lot more pressure on the, gov- the Florida government to be able to respond on what's going on. And he just let them have it by having the receipts of, of what these media outlets have reported in the past. And it was beautiful. And I think that's what Republicans are starting to do more often. The press secretary for the White House is doing it, and a lot of other governors and uh, officials are doing it now, that you have to have the receipts right there to give it to them because they'll never show it. They'll never do a retraction. They'll never do any of that because they don't care. They just want to get the gotcha question. And the governor unloaded on that reporter. And I was very proud of our governor when he did that because we as a state, and I will say this because we're all Floridians, we as a state has have done a lot to, to hunker down, to make sure we flatten the curve. That was a big thing for us. And that's what we wanted to do. All the counties have done their best and uh, kudos to um, first responders and those essential workers for doing what needed to get done. But also logical steps were made, making sure that individuals that were coming out of retirement homes, going to the hospital, they weren't sent back to the retirement homes to spread more of the virus. There's just, there are concrete differences of what happened in Florida, what happened in other, uh, other Republican states that, that were opposite for Democratic states. New York is a perfect example of how Cuomo, who has been the darling of the media, were sending sick people back into retirement homes. You're literally sending the fox into the hen house of people that are most vulnerable, and they're going to all get sick. But yet you were complaining that you didn't have enough ventilators. You were complaining you didn't have enough hospital beds when you had an entire ship of them. You had the entire facility at the J Center. And that's it doesn't make sense. And I think it, you have to be held responsible for all of that. You have to be held responsible for the decisions that you made. From what I understand, New York didn't switch their policy of sending back uh, people that were sick to the retirement homes until mid, I think, beginning of March or, or somewhere in April. So, like, it was, it was already palpable what the problem was. And I think you're going to feel a lot of people understand that. And even between California and New York, the difference is there of what the governors have done to see and to really, they don't care. There's some people that just don't care about being on TV. They just want to get their states safe. They want to keep their citizens safe. And that's not what Cuomo and other Democrats did. So I give kudos to our governor, and I think he's done a great job, and he's been able to push, uh, make sure that Floridians are safe, and building out the rapid response teams to the um, to the retirement communities. And probably I don't know what happened, but like I, I would respond, I would expect that they completely shut down Sun City Center and um, and some other retirement communities have been like locked down like a fortress lately. Well. Uh, forgetting to unmute myself going back to you know what you just said i mean uh as far as cuomo being the media darling i mean lord you would have thought it was uh um right you know what they call it sweeps week in television you know when the cuomo brothers got on cnn and you know they were having the little reunion and and all that i mean you know people are just gushing over it uh meanwhile again people are dying hand over foot uh in in new york state and and i think you know that's all going to come back to bite him i mean you know people were were quickly to try to position governor cuomo as maybe a replacement for joe biden uh who again you know uh, democrats are even wondering if he's going to make it to november uh just because of uh, you know what what may be you know some some health issues there um and uh and and uh, right now i don't think governor cuomo is looking in, to be in any better of a position than joe biden is right now if you were to go head to head with trump um we we've of course kind of been uh, discussing this particular topic over the past few episodes because it continues to evolve and of course that is the thing that we've all kind of touched on the republican uh, versus the Democratic response at a state level, you know, to this pandemic. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, uh, California quickly bend to the powers that be, you know, because all of a sudden with athletes and sports teams and, and say, hey, we're going to get out of here because this place, if this place is going to be shut down for another, you know, six weeks or another two months, whatever it's going to be like, you know, I can't, I can't do this, you know. Um, you know, you got to love it when you have, 
uh, I, I would say what today's moderates would be like, you know, your Joe Rogans, Elon Musk, you know, and then your more business oriented people, you know, in these West Coast states or these liberal states and saying, hey, we're going to get out of here. You know, we're going to Texas, Florida. You know, uh, the big news today, and, and actually, Christian, if you can touch on, you know, Trump saying that he might pull the convention out of Charlotte, out of North Carolina, maybe. And, and then, of course, you know, you and Joe, uh, the chairman of the party, you know, now uh, making a push, say, hey, bring it to Florida. You know, we did it in 2012. Let's do it again. Uh, you, you know, you, we're really starting to see the true divide in philosophy uh, and in execution here. Um, Chris, uh, uh, Christian, sorry. Um, I, I know, obviously, I would love nothing more than to have the, the RNC back in, in Florida, you know, whether it's Tampa Bay or not. Um, but uh, what, what did you think of that news of the president thinking to pull the, the convention out of, out of North Carolina? Look, I love it. Um, I think what you're going to see here in, in Annabelle, I think he, he made a key point there, too. Um, this is going to be a a big awakening for a solid portion of society. Look, we're all politically active. We sit here, we're on these shows, and you know, we go to REC meetings. We we volunteer for candidates. The truth is, the majority of people in this country they're so focused on trying to collect a paycheck, work to be able to provide for their family. They don't have time for politics, and a lot of them don't even really dive into the specific political issues every single day. What this coronavirus has done, though is it's directly impacted their lives. Um, they've gotten their first, a lot of people gotten their first real taste of big government. And they're, they're watching and seeing how we respond. And uh, there are obviously governors out there that are you know, imposing, imposing curfews, forcing you to wear a mask wherever you go. Um, they are even banning like the sale of seeds, right? To be able to plant your own food, which is like completely asinine. It's crazy. Um, and then there are other governors that aren't doing that. I think they keep an eye on that. I think the frustration in, in the previous issue that we discussed with DeSantis, I think, you know, in Florida, he's exactly right. We've all, as a, as a society, all the Floridians have come together to beat this virus. We did what was asked of us. We sheltered at home. We took steps. You know, we got out of school. We uh, closed our businesses. And the last thing we want to be told over and over and over is that we have failed. And that's what the media has done is said that basically we have failed and the numbers just don't match up to that failure that they're trying to paint. And I think the more they do that, the more people wake up, they look around, they say, okay, we have governors that are overextending their reach. Now you have the media over here that is trying to paint a narrative that just simply is not true. And I think they open up and they start saying, whoa, this is exactly what Donald Trump's been talking about since he's launched his campaign in 2015. So I think a lot of moderate, you know, uh, voters out there, some de Democrats that are kind of soft Democrats, that's going to sway them to the Republican side. Now, as for the specifically the convention, this is another showcase. I, I have no doubt. I mean, I haven't talked to the governor about it yet, but I have no doubt that he would he wouldn't welcome the uh, uh, convention to Florida. Um, we're going to make a push. You know, Joe Gruders, who's the state chairman here for the Republican Party of Florida, myself as vice chairman, I've been talking to a lot of members of the media all day. Um, we're going to make a hard push to try to get the convention in Florida. I think we have a chance for it. And the message there is you have a Democrat governor in North Carolina that is doing everything he can to push businesses away, push economic activity away. And guess what? A Republican state, we're all, we're open arms. We want to welcome the economic activity. I think it's over $160 million is the benefit to whatever city they end up going to. Um, and then all the jobs that are created, not to mention all the free press that you get with the marketing and everything else. So I think it really highlights, you know, that, look, Florida's open for business. We want the economic activity. And hopefully those millionaires and those billionaires around this, the country take note and realize that, hey, maybe I want to go do business in Florida just in case in the future I have a decision between economic activity or no economic activity. Maybe leave, you know, some of their more liberal tendencies at, at the state line, but We'd love to have them come here with jobs and economic activity. And that's what this convention discussion, I think, is really uncovering. <clears throat> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and again, it's one of these things that I think Florida is uniquely prepared, uh, unlike many states, you know, for an event of this size. Um, Anibal, you know, we are looking at, uh, not only the possibility of maybe getting the RNC here kind of at, on late notice uh, back into the state of Florida, uh, but 
we are now seeing there was already a migration from California and some of these other uh, very liberal states, you know, into Texas, Florida. I mean, the New York Times even put out a graph of where people were leaving New York from. And of course, the majority of them are coming here to Florida. Uh, you know, do you feel that, uh, you know, is this going to continue, I think, well past this virus? Or do you think that uh, this is just uh, kind of a flash in the pan moment of realist, uh, realism for a lot of people and realizing that, uh, you know, what their government truly uh, stands for and what they truly look like. I think what you're seeing is a respond to a lot of criticism that's happening now throughout the, the United States from state to state. People are, again, I agree with, with uh, Chris that there's not much discussion here uh, when it comes to people wanting to live their day-to-day lives. They don't, they don't go into the degree that we do, that we're all so involved in. But when you have people like Joe Rogan and other large contributors to the media, to the narratives, talking about we should just move. If, if California is not going to let us do business, then other people are going to need to, we're going to have to figure out how to make money. We're going to have to figure out how to earn a living. And the argument was always, well, if you go to work or if you, want to do something, you're, you will be contributing to people dying. Well, are you going to be contributing to, the, to those, par- those parents feeding their children? Are you going to be contributing to those individuals being able to put food on their table? No, you're not, or keep a roof over their head. And so the argument was, was always, and I'm glad we're having this discussion now, because a month ago, we would be called heretics for talking about opening up the states, because that's how, that's how upset people were, that people were, were having the, the audacity to start this conversation, which needed to happen. You're going to see an exodus from California where people are like, look, the governor is too powerful, or the, uh, the administration there is too powerful, and they're going to start moving away. You're going to, why does it require, now we see the power of the third branch of government, which is the judicial that they are that those are the, the the lawsuits that are piling up in California, in Wisconsin, in in Illinois, in New York, where you can't take away a barber's license because you don't like that he's reopened his barber shop. You cannot do that. You cannot stop a salon in Texas from cutting hair at the end of because again, when this all started, we all agreed on the terms. We were going to flatten the curve to give everyone time to get their stuff together. Well, now. Two, three months into it, you cannot stop a business from earning income. You cannot stop an individual from earning income. And now the judges are going to have to get involved and they're pushing back every way. So now every politician that thought they were high and mighty, that they were, going to, they were stopping the curve and stopping people from dying, now have egg on their face. So now you have this huge ex- exodus from these counties and these states. And what you will see in the future is that New York, for as, as ridiculous as they have become, some districts will be flipped because of it. In California, I had no idea there were that many Republicans there. But yet you see the, the, the protests and people getting arrested on the beach. You want to be the person in power that is arresting people for going to the beach? That is ridiculous. In New York City, 60% of new cases of coronavirus are from people that are staying in their homes, but yet they're still catching the virus. And it's less likely for you to get it if you're outside. Again, these people are power hungry because you get, I like, what was it? Down Abbey said it best. You give these people a little power and it is like strong drink that goes to their head. So again, we'll see it. And as long as it doesn't turn around to show, ah, <laughs> but as long as you can see that there's a path to get people's, their authority back and their positions back, you'll see it. And November is a great way for people to vote these people out of office. Hey, Chris, uh, so, you know, for you, uh, you know, and your family, um, did you reach that point? Have you reached that point where you're like, all right, enough of this, we got to move on. I mean, again, you know, I, I didn't mean to kind of call you out, but I know you went out a little bit, enjoyed the beach a little bit. Um, you know, was there a point, uh, whether it was this week, uh, two weeks ago, that, you know, you said, all right, enough of this. I mean, we need to get back to normal. Actually, I didn't make the decision. My, my nine-year-old daughter did. She was like, get me the hell out of this house. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. a couple weeks ago, we, we just got out and, and went to the beach. And like I said, you know, we practiced social distancing and we enjoyed the beach uh, this weekend. I enjoyed uh, getting on the water 
uh, on a boat with my buddies yesterday. And, and, and we, we're all responsible. We all practice social distancing. But, you know, and if you can have a, a toll on a nine-year-old kid who just wants to get out of the house and get a little sunlight, have some fun, I, I can understand that the business owners who are suffering from a, from a financial and economic standpoint. So all these restrictions and these rules in place, uh, and then you have the government, you know, determine what's essential and, and, and what's not essential. If you're a business owner, no matter what you do, your job is essential to you, whether it's cutting hair or whatever you do. So you see these states that have imposed these tough restrictions. And, and, and I think this, if it's the majority of Democratic states, you're going to see a lot of people switching parties come November. I was, I was reading an article, I, was, I want to say it was in Seattle, about a, a, a salon owner. And she opened up, and I think the, the city started hitting her with fines, and then OSHA started coming by wanting to find her. I think that's total abuse of power. It's just somebody she she has trying to make a living for her family. So you know, when does it become a crime to to, to make money and support your family? So you, you know, what's going on in California, some of those states, and these business owners shifts into other states. It's more conservative, uh, more economic friendly. I think we're going to see a lot of that, and I think definitely this November. That's going to be on a lot of people's minds, especially business owners, when they think about how they were impacted due to the restrictions. So I won't be surprised to see a lot of people jumping parties. Oh, sorry, Chris. We mentioned you know your service to the Coast Guard uh, earlier, um, and and I won't disclose your employer, but I'll just say that. Uh, you know, it is uh, within uh, one of the essential services uh, that the state, uh, you know, and the, our communities heavily depend on. Uh, how has this really affected that from a professional standpoint? Uh, because you're in a very unique industry. How has this affected uh, your workplace and, and even the, the company that you work for? Yeah, so you know, I work for you know a utility company in the Tampa Bay area, and uh, I, I think our response was just amazing. You know, with our leadership, with our company, you know, we uh, you know reduced the number of employees that we had in the office, allowing a lot of people to, to work from home to kind of slow that spread. Uh, and then you know there was I don't think there was a great economic impact to to our to our, my company due to it's a necessity necessity. Utility that everybody needs, but we were able to modify operation about letting people work from home more and keep business going. So there's some things that we had to shift. Right now, we're looking at plans on how to, uh, you know, safely uh, bring people back in the workplace. But you know, we, it's going to be a, a methodical way our company goes about doing it. And, and I just think uh, our company just did an awesome job. Uh, took care of the coworkers. Fortunately, we wouldn't have to lay anybody off or anybody lost their jobs. I'm saying that my company, a lot of other companies weren't in that position, but I think we did an awesome job overall. Do you see any permanent changes? This is actually a point of fascination for me. Post-coronavirus, do you see any permanent changes go- being implemented um, just because they, they're seen as now best practices or efficiencies that have come about because of the coronavirus? Absolutely. I think across the entire United States, I think businesses are going to start looking at their, their models determining who can effectively work from home. And I think, you know, over the past couple of months, a lot of businesses identified that maybe, hey, we don't need all these people in the office. Now we can get a, a smaller workspace. So I, I, I think uh, it's going to change businesses a, a, across the United States. Uh, and, and that model change, we've definitely identified a lot of best practices where you don't need an office space crowded with people. And people can, can do their same job and even have be more efficient from home, uh, less travel time, uh, the roads are uh, free and clear. It's a big, uh, uh, greater impact on the environment as well. So I, I think uh, throughout the United States, you're definitely going to see businesses change how they, how they do their business, their everyday business. Well, uh, guys, thank you again so much for joining me on today's show. Uh, for those of you watching, uh, over here to uh, next to me is Christian Ziegler, Vice Chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. Uh, right beneath me is Chris Chambers, uh, one of our regular panelists, and Anibal Cabrera with me as always as well. Thank you again. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on uh, uh, Google, Spotify, and Apple platforms. And a special thank you going out to the Tampa Bay Young Republicans, the Florida Federation of Young Republicans for carrying this show. Uh, we, we can't do this without you, and we certainly can't win in November without you. On that note, um, Chris uh, Christian, 
<laughs> um, give us a, uh, you know, some words to take uh, here at the end of the show about how people can get involved, where we need help. Uh, how can we ensure that Florida stays red in November? Got to unmute. Um, look, this is going to be a historic campaign. I mean, people always say it's the most important election of your lifetime every single cycle. I think I'm going to, what I'm going to share, everyone should probably agree with this is probably going to be the nastiest and most aggressive race in our history. Um, it's going to be a dogfight out there. I mean, we're going to go at each other left, right. Uh, they're going to do everything they can. We've seen it uh, since he's been in office from the moment President Trump took office. Um, they tried to impeach him. You know, you had all these, you know, impeachment hearings and everything to try to take him out of office. Brett Kavanaugh, they destroyed him. Um, and that's going to carry over and that's really going to boil over during this election. And, uh, and it's a shame, but it's a reality. And our job is to make sure that we get him reelected. So, you know, my, my role as vice chairman of the Republican Party of Florida is I need to deliver the state of Florida. And I can't deliver the state of Florida unless people come out and help us um, volunteer, get involved. So um, right now, if you want to get involved, you can reach out directly to me. I mean, you can put my email in the podcast if you want, Johnny, or, um, you know, reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you, you can uh, uh, email me again, Christian at ChristianGOP.com. I'll get you connected, but we need you to help your local county party. We need you to get involved. Um, we need more people because, look, I can make X number of phone calls, but if I can bring five more people, that's 5X um, voter contacts that we can do. Uh, get on social media. Just really kind of express your support for the president. Make sure people are clear why you're going to be voting for Donald Trump and and what you're doing about it to make sure he gets elected. Um, we need your help. We only have a couple more. You know, really, it's getting down to the wire now. Um, we're measuring in months now and weeks. Um, but please get involved. I appreciate you guys, you know, hosting this show. I think it's invaluable to really do deep dives on issues, especially within the state. There's not a lot of people that do that. Um, especially on the Republican side. So I, I thank all of you for, you know, putting on this show and everyone for sharing the show. Um, it's really an invaluable tool to get the message out, but thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to uh, keep watching your show as it comes out. Thank you, Christian. Thank you so much. Uh, Chris Chambers, uh, show number two for you. Any closing thoughts? Oh, no, it's, it's always a pleasure to be on here and just share my perspective. I think we're doing a you know, great job. And, and I think it's good to, you know, do this, get this information out here from, uh, I guess, a repertoire and common sense show. You know, you got media's, you know, so much leaning to the left, far left, far right. But uh, I'm just happy to be on and share my perspective. Hopefully you have me back. Well, we really appreciate you. And uh, thanks again. I'm sure we're going to be having you on again really soon. Anibal Cabrera, bring it home. Yeah, not that much pressure. <laughs> I feel that we are doing a great job as a state. I will continue to sing the praises of our governor and of our president and what they've done to really, um, uh, during this very difficult time, no one was expecting this kind of, of, of red hair, of, of this of this pandemic to occur on an election year and everything else. It's, it's, it's thrown everything really out into a loop. However, I'll say this, the same thing I said to my, uh, high schoolers that graduated this year, I'll say to the group that take the opportunity that's happening now, um, be able to really get yourself and get your business digitized so that you're able to sell and be a part of this community and growing community. Uh, support your local officials, support your local businesses, and support your local charities. That is something that has been really on my heart lately that, again, uh, even though I'm not going to church and because of all this, we're not able to attend, we are still giving to our churches. We're still contributing to our, our nonprofits because they are the ones that need a lot of help right now because they will be able to touch so many more people than just uh, my, my uh, than just a few of us. So that's what I will tell this group. And thank you all for everything you guys do. I love T4R. I love the group. I love FF4R. All right. Thank you, Neil. Keep forgetting that mute button. All right. Thank you again, Anibal. That was a great statement. And uh, once again, I want to thank uh, Christian Ziegler, you know, who, again, over the past number of years, been watching him rise from the local ranks, you know, now to the state ranks of leadership. Uh, both you and Jeff just done an amazing job uh, in uh, not only, you know, navigating this politically, uh, but continuing to support uh, not only our governor during this time, our president during this time, and, and, and showing, you know, the state of Florida what we truly stand for and uh, the messaging 
the logistics that you guys are are implementing along the way to help us win in November again can't be understated and uh, I know we're going to be successful because of the skill sets that you guys bring to the table and the teams that you have working underneath you so uh, best of luck to you guys and again thank you for all your work at the RPOF um, on that note, uh, for those of you who may be recognizing Memorial Day in a more somber way, our thoughts and prayers are with you, and we appreciate you, uh, the Gold Star families uh, and those who have lost loved ones and, you know, uh, who have served in our military. Uh, we appreciate you for taking the time to watch this show on Memorial Day or whenever you may be watching it, uh, and it's an honor and a privilege to do this for you guys. And so please let us know how we can continue to make this show better and more informative and more entertaining for you. Uh, again, on behalf of of Christian Ziegler and Abel Cabrera, Chris Chambers, yours truly, the Tampa Bay Young Republicans and Florida Federation of Young Republicans. We appreciate you for watching The Yard Sign. Until next time, so long. Oh!